Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we are going to be talking all about CockroachDB, a very exciting new product in the database market. And for that, I have today with me Daniel Holt, a friend of Pythian and also working at CockroachDB right now. Daniel, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yes, absolutely. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Daniel Holt, and I'm VP of Solutions Engineering for Cockroach Labs, who are the company that builds CockroachDB, the, the distributed SQL database. So it's nice to, nice to be here. And just to get an idea of your level of uh, experience and your chops in the IT industry, can you give us a little bit of your tech background? Yes, absolutely. Um, I have a deep background of about 12 years in the in the IT landscape. Um, I started back in the day as a, as a SQL Server DBA, uh, and I've moved through a number of different sort of back-end database technologies that include the likes of Cosmos DB, um, Datastax, Cassandra, uh, CockroachDB, uh, Spanner, uh, and PostgreSQL. Uh, so yeah, lots of, lots of experience in the database world, um, and a lot of experience in the cloud and infrastructure world as well. Nice, nice. So you are the right guy for this, for the job, I guess. Good job by Cockroach Labs. Um, so let's start with the obvious. For people that are not familiar at all, what, what is CockroachDB? What makes it attractive? Why would somebody build a system on CockroachDB? Yeah, I mean, to, to understand CockroachDB, you also need to understand the other database technologies. So um, when I talk about CockroachDB, I like to take people on a journey of sort of a, a database evolution curve. So if we think about the, the, the traditional relational databases, then the, the likes of Oracle, SQL Server, Postgres, MySQL, when they were built, they were built as very much single node architectures. So very, very good at things like ACID compliance. They're very consistent. They're very flexible. And anybody who's worked in the database space speaks SQL and knows that SQL is the de facto language that you interact with databases with. But where they start to fall behind is, is that scalability front. You know, the minute you need to scale those types of databases, the typical way of scaling them is to vertically scale them. And that always comes with a ceiling. There's only so many CPUs, you know, RAM slots and disks that you can have in a single server. Some people might argue that you can horizontally scale them with, you know, manual sharding, partitioning schemas, things like that. Mm -hmm. However, if anybody's had to do that, I feel very sorry for you because it's a very, very hard thing to maintain over a long period of time. And then that's where the NoSQL era came, comes into it. So you have the likes of Cassandra, Couchbase, MongoDB, and, and, and the NoSQL technologies. And they are kind of the, the, the flip reverse of, uh, of, cockroach, uh, of legacy databases like uh, Oracle and SQL Server. And by the reverse, I mean you you do lose the consistency aspect because most of those technologies are eventually consistent systems, and you lose all the familiarity with SQL and the SQL semantics that we're typically used to. But what you gain in that manner is vast and horizontal scalability. So you can pretty much indefinitely scale those uh, types of technologies horizontally very, very efficiently. So you lose the consistency and the, the SQL semantics, but you gain the, the, the scalability aspect. There is another type of technology uh, in between then that I call cloud native database technologies. Okay. So these are the likes of AuroraDB, um, Azure SQL, Cloud SQL in, in Google. 
And what the cloud providers did there was they took the old legacy systems like Postgres and MySQL, and they bolted on a distributed storage layer underneath them. Now that kind of bridges the gap between the two technologies because it allows you that familiar SQL interface and the SQL semantics, and it gives you that scalability, but only for read workloads. Mm -hmm. It's still, still a single write master workload. So if you will need to scale your writes, it's very, very difficult to do in those types of technologies. So what we're here to talk about, CockroachDB, where does it fit? Well, Cockroach fills the gaps of all of those technologies. So it's Postgres dialect SQL, okay. so very familiar SQL dialect. It's very flexible in terms of you can add secondary indexes similar to how you, um, how you do with the, the old legacy databases. But it's also very easy to scale horizontally. With Cockroach, you simply add more nodes into your existing clusters, and the data gets automatically rebalanced and resharded across all of the available compute, so that you're not, you know, you're not wasting hardware. Similar to where, you know, if you think about active-passive technologies, CockroachDB is fully multi-active, so there is never any wasted hardware whatsoever. And every node in Cockroach is capable of, of servicing both a read and a write operation. So that's that's what Cockroach is, and that's kind of where it fits in that marketplace. And it's it's also resilient, I assume, right? So if one, <laughs> there must be some sort of replication so that there's more than one copy of every single record in whatever cluster you might have? Yeah, absolutely, Warner. I mean, um, that's where the name came from, actually, is, is when, oh, well, the the one, <laughs> when the founders wanted to build, build a database, they joked about, you know, cockroaches being able to outlast nuclear holocausts, and they wanted to, to name a super resilient database after an open source um, project is all named after insects, and cockroach was the perfect one for that. But to your point, yes, um, by default, you know, uh, the minimum cluster spec for cockroach is three nodes, because three. that's yeah. the default replication factor is three, but that is configurable depending on what your survivability criteria is. Okay, and what about disaster? recovery so are we i assume you've had obviously some experience with this how mm -hmm. how far have uh, your clients pushed the the distributed nature of cockroach oh yeah i mean we have clients that are truly running global applications um and we're seeing a lot of this in the fintech and payment processing space right. and things like that so if you think about it um the, the example that i like to give and what most uh, i would say most clients start with when running a global applications is you could, for example, have three nodes in the UK, three nodes in the US, and three nodes in Australia. So you won't get a more distributed <laughs> data sets that span the globe than that type of topology. Mm -hmm. Now, by default, what Cockroach will do is it will make itself as resilient as possible, and it will place one copy of your data in the UK, for example, one copy in the US, and one copy in Australia. By having three nodes in each of those regions, it also gives you resiliency within the region. So you lose a node in the UK, you're absolutely fine. You have another two nodes in the UK capable of hosting that data. Same for the US, same for Australia. The other thing it will do is if you completely lose the entire UK region, for example, you can still service your traffic through the US or Australian clusters because there are still copies of the data in, in, those, um, in those countries or regions. The way Cockroach does that, uh, and this is for the more technical <laughs> people in the audience, That's right. is we use a consensus-based distributed algorithm called Raft. Okay. Uh, and we piggyback all of our replication and distribution um, and consistency models off the back of that Raft protocol. 
so so quick quick stop here as well because now that you're talking about you know consistency protocol etc how does it something that's very common a, a pain or that sometimes requires a little bit of a, an abstraction leaking into the application when dealing with distributed databases is that you have to try to figure out what happens if somebody writes to the same record in two different regions right the the famous kind of like how do you avoid collisions uh yeah, it's, it's, conflict it's resolution of, right yeah it's the common conflict resolution um, scenario and in in most you know other database platforms you have a concept of split brain and having to reconcile that split brain through conflict resolution within the application tier normally but because cockroach is based off a distributed quorum based algorithm um, like i said I mentioned raft we don't have to deal with any of that because raft is is consistent by default um, how that works is is the way that we write data in CockroachDB is in sort of chunks of data that we call ranges. Those ranges are always 512 megabytes in size, and they're always lexicographically ordered for efficiencies in scanning over those ranges. So each of those 512 megabyte ranges actually gets um, one of one of the the raft groups. So if you think we replicate that range three times, okay. one of those ranges gets elected the leaseholder. Uh, or raft leader, if you're f familiar with okay. the raft concept, and that's the, the 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 range that controls all the reads and writes and does all the conflict resolution there. Okay. So ultimately, CockroachDB runs in database terms. It runs in serializable isolation level. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no possibility of data anomalies like you know dirty reads, write skews, things like that. It's completely protected from that manner. Um, and it's uh, to answer your question directly is what happens if a um, write comes in from two separate regions, then they both have to be serviced by the leaseholder for that particular range, and then it will become contention on that range. So because we see realizable, only one of them can succeed and the other mm -hmm. one will be The other one will just get an exception or something like that. Exactly. And we expect you then to retry that. Mm -hmm. which is why it's super important when you're developing applications in distributed architectures that you implement retry logic in your application and you make your statements as idempotent as possible. Mm, makes sense. Is that also, since since you mentioned that as well, do you and your experience right now, you know, being at Cockroach Lab for a couple of years, do you find, is it a steep hill for some clients to go from the mentality of building systems for SMP databases like SQL, Oracle, et cetera, to move into um, you know, using Cockroach at its fullest? Do, do they struggle? Do you find that um, they're able to easily do it? What's what's usually the path, the, the journey that a client takes on that level? Yeah, so they, they, there's always some form of upfront education that is required when moving to distributed systems from SMP type architectures. And the, it, the, the same common things come up across all of my clients, really. It's, you know, if you're moving from the likes of SQL Server, for example, we're very, very familiar, and it's very, very easy to create primary keys with auto-sequencing identities, mm -hmm. for example. Now, if you do that in, in distributed SQL space, particularly in CockroachDB, it will create hotspots on individual nodes. Because as I mentioned earlier, we order all data. So if you think about it, I'm, I'm writing key one, two, three, four, five, six. They all go into the same range on the same node. So doesn't evenly distribute your data amongst nodes. So the what I like to advise uh, my clients when, when they're moving to Cockroach is you need to get out of that mindset of ease of use and start thinking about efficiencies within, within distributed systems. So 
the easy way to do things like that is primary key should all be always be UUIDs or GUIDs because mm-hmm. that will evenly distribute the data across multiple nodes. So, I mean, as long as you're familiar with SQL in terms of the dialect, it's very easy and nice to move to CockroachDB. Now, I would never say that a migration is easy because I've been a part of many migrations. Yeah. Especially when there's code involved as well, right? And and you just mentioned, right, like a lot of the code at the database levels is written assuming some sort of isolation level that you yeah. might not get in, in a distributed database, right? Yeah, exactly. The The isolation levels come super important. And the, the other big thing with distributed systems or most distributed systems, Cockroach in particular, um, we don't support things like uh, store procedures, triggers um, in the database. And that's because we believe that, you know, when you move to more microservice oriented architectures, which everybody seems to be moving to um, in this day and age, business logic really doesn't belong in the database. It belongs in the application tier. So the, right now, to, to that point, then the SQL interface of Cockroach is mostly, you know, the CRUD operations then, right? So you can it, you can insert, you can update, you can delete, but there is no underlying dialect to, you know, declare a variable, do a loop, et cetera, et cetera. No, exactly. I mean, procedural um, SQL like that, um, we, we tend to push to the application because that's more business logic and that's where applications are more efficient than the database in doing those types of uh, operations. Okay. And when you work with, uh, with Cockroach, how does the tooling ecosystem look like as well? Because I know that's something that people are also hesitant sometimes when they're moving to newer products, right? Like something like Oracle or SQL has been available mm-hmm. for so long. There's a huge, well, there's there's a huge partner ecosystem, but there's also, you know, like everybody has worked with SQL Plus. Everybody has worked with Management Management Studio has been around for, I don't know, like 15 years. It has so many features, et cetera. How does that look like on the Cockroach TV world? Yeah, and look, I'll be honest here. I, I really miss the Management Studio side of things from my SQL Server days because that, as you mentioned, that's a product that I grew up with. So it was a product that I was very familiar and new with. What I'll say about Cockroach's tooling is um, it's it's quite vast and quite universal, but that's because the way that we've chosen to implement um, CockroachDB is via the Postgres wire protocol. Okay. So, you know, any, for example, any ORM that you want to use, as long as it has a Postgres compatible driver. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. I see. So any, any, any tool that would work with PostgreSQL you can potentially do it with Cockroach as well then? Yes, but there's a caveat. Okay. Again, the tools can't use stored procedures, they can't use triggers, and they can't I use see. cursors. If they use one of those three things, then yes, we can't. You'll, just get, you'll get some error somewhere. You will. Some parts of the tool will work, some parts of it won't, is, is what it comes down to. Okay, and interesting. And what about migration tooling? Like if I, if I, you know, you convinced me, I bought into it, how how do I move or, or what's the path look like on actual terms if I want to go from let's say SQL to CockroachDB? Yeah, so there's there's a number of different um, options you have for for, for migrating um, from those technologies to CockroachDB. So we've recently signed a partnership with a with a company called Stream. Um, they do do online replication from those technologies into CockroachDB. Okay. So if you want to do some sort of light light sort of online migration, that is a very very good option. Um, secondly, you have the t- traditional way. So if you if you can accommodate downtime in your application, then uh, you know um, taking it down 
uh, importing a bunch of CSVs, getting your data up to date, and then switching your connection strings over to Cockroach is another way of doing it. Yeah, I mean that's if you if you can afford that, right? If we're talking about <laughs> a system that's like operationally important, then you probably want to do the other option, right? Go real exactly or near real time. You want to use Stream or you want to use a dual write approach within your application. So changing your application to to write to both locations and read from the old one while you backfill the, the Cockroach DB database, and then you can just switch over, which is an all and online operation. So we see that sometimes as well. Okay. And what are some of the common struggles that you see with people moving into Cockroach DB? What are the most I mean you mentioned the hotspots, for example, because of the you know, change in mentality or how we organize the data. Is there anything else that usually gives people a hard time, some slump that they have to go over? Yeah, I can't, I can't say that there's a lot, to be honest. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I see is uh, because we're so Postgres compatible in terms of dialect and PTY protocol, people think that it's a lift and shift operation. Okay. So they think that they can just put data into Cockroach and treat it exactly the same as it, they treat Postgres, mm -hmm. which obviously they can't because Cockroach is a distributed database, whereas Postgres is a single node, you know, read everything into memory, do everything in memory and only flush the disk when required. Cockroach doesn't work that way because of its distributed nature. We do a lot more reading from disk, uh, a lot more often than those traditional database systems. Okay. How do you usually recommend people, like if I'm deploying my own cockroach cluster, how mm -hmm. do you size it? Like, you know, we're moving from, again, we're moving from an SMP world into a cockroach DB distributed world. But at the same time, like we were just saying, they need to service copies of the data for resilience. They mm -hmm. have their own, uh, like background workload, right? If you need, if cockroach needs to rebalance, the ranges, right? That you have to account for that compute as well. Is is it complicated to try to size one of these? Like how, how do you do it? Yeah, so so it's not too complicated if I'm honest. Um, the most basic of of ways of, of of sizing environment that we do is is storage based sizing. Okay. So to your point, you know, say I have a let's say I have a 15 terabyte database that I need to to to, to put into Cockroach DB. Well, it's 15 terabytes in SQL Server. But however, Cockroach needs three copies of that data for its resiliency factor. So it's actually storing 45 terabytes worth of data. Okay, yeah. In that case. So um, the recommendation from Cockroach's perspective is, is really you don't want to go above 2.4 terabytes of data per node. So if okay. you take that 45 terabytes divided by 2.4, testing your maths now, Warner, do you know what that is? Yeah, I don't know, like 20 nodes? It's 18 nodes, close enough. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 18 nodes then for that case. But that only does the, the the storage side of things. You mm -hmm. then have to consider the throughput side of things. So the recommendation for Cockroach is for each virtual CPU that you have in your cluster, you can service four concurrent connections okay. and you can get around 1,000 uh, QPS in terms of throughput. Okay. All right. So then you guys use those as starting points. Yep. And and then obviously the, it's up to you know the client as well to do their own application workload testing and whatnot. Use something like JMeter maybe yep. to to really see if, if they're hitting the limits or not of the system, right? Yeah, there's JMeter we see used, Sysbench we see used, and we've even got our own built-in workload generations tool to help you ramp up the cluster to, so that you can you know efficiently size it for certain throughput metrics and things like that. Okay. Does Cockroach also require, this is something else that happens sometimes with the distributed DBs, is that it kind of requires like a pre-warming, you know? So like if you have 24 nodes and you 
start writing on it, it will just start writing on like one of them. And then it takes a while for it to start to rebalance in the background or does it just, it's okay. Does it work well cold? It, it, yeah, it's okay. And the reason it's okay is because we, we tend to advise that when you write data into CockroachDB, you should write it through a load balancer. So you put a load balancer in front of CockroachDB, which will even distribute the right workloads across all of the nodes in the cluster. So okay. there is no real means of warming nodes up because all nodes are always active all of the time. So Okay. And what about something else that comes up a lot, obviously, is that, you know, you mentioned uh, SQL, Oracle, all these RDBMSs, classic RDBMSs, over time, kind of evolved into split personalities, right? So that people use them, the same machine, the same big SMP box, people will use them for both OLTP workloads and Oh, uh, analytical workloads too, right? And you and I obviously have worked on this over the years where we have systems that have a bazillion indexes because they're trying to serve two different workloads that are very different, right? W yeah. what, is, what is the common architectural pattern then if you, if you implement Cockroach, you guys, do you provide like a change feed or some change data capture or just exporting data into a warehouse? Like what does that full architecture look like? if I need also analytics on top of that data that I have in Cockroach? Yeah, so so first of all, let's talk about Cockroach. So we we, we really sort of specialize in the OLTP space mm -hmm. um, and, and particularly mission critical system of record type of OLTP use cases is, is the sweet spot for, for Cockroach DB. If you have very heavy analytical workloads, if you're thinking of things like machine learning, multi-dimensional modeling of data and things like that, then there are probably a lot better databases than Cockroach to fit those needs. Now we are making advancements in, in the analytics space. For example, last year we implemented a vectorized execution engine within Cockroach, which okay. really helps with those column store types of-, of Yeah, yeah. Has, has multiple records through the CPU at once kind of thing. Exactly, and those really help. But we built that mainly for those um, those use cases where you need to do you know maybe end of day or end of quarter rollups and analytics. It's not really meant for, for, for heavy analytical workloads. So to enable that, what we've done is we've built um, CDC, change data okay. capture, into the product. Now, if you're familiar with CDC from other technologies like SQL Server, it's slightly different in Cockroach because okay. in, in older technologies like SQL Server, that's just a way of versioning rows within, uh, within some schema tables or information schemas there. What Cockroach did was built a Kafka producer. Into oh, I see. Okay. So when you put a change feed on a table in Cockroach, what it does is it emits all changes for that table into like a Kafka topic, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. can use a cloud sync, like an S3 bucket or something like that, and store them as JSON if you don't have Kafka. So it's really, really useful for the workload for the, the workflow that you mentioned. So, you know, I have an OLTP database, I put a change feed on a table, I get my mission critical applications really efficient because it's not doing any analytics. And then I use the change feed in Kafka maybe to feed a snowflake or a redshift. Yeah, database. yeah. That can really do those heavy analytical workloads. Okay, that's cool. All right, so that's already built into the product. That's very important as well because I, I do see that every now and then. Uh, obviously, people are trying to figure out, like, what do I do now? I have all this data here, and we do want to have analytics on it. And that ability to do CDC is really critical to feed, um, you know, a data warehouse or a data lake downstream, right? Yeah, I mean, there's the, the two reasons we built it. One of them was for that, you know, feeding those analytical workloads because 
we're honest, you know, we built a database particularly for OLTP. Yeah, it's fit right. for purpose. It's not trying to be the hammer for all the nails, like, again, like the classic RDBMSs. Exactly. But then you think of certain patterns that come up in the IT space, like the outbox pattern is a popular one, mm -hmm. or, or even things like event sourcing and things like that. Yeah, Having yeah. the ability to feed Kafka streams directly from your ODS is, is super, super powerful. Yeah, that makes sense. You can implement uh, a lot of systems integrations that way as well, yeah. right? Yeah, we can. What about, so let's talk about how how is Cockroach packaged, right? Because I know obviously Cockroach Labs is uh, works on the product, but the product has a couple of different versions, different ways you can run it. Let, let's talk about that. Yeah, definitely. So let's, let's talk about the versions first of all, and then let's talk about the deployment methods that you have. Um, once you've picked which version that you want to pick, uh, you want to go with. So we we have a core edition, which is for okay. all intents and purposes, open source. Okay. Um, it's not run under the Apache 2 license. It's run under a, what we call a BSL license. But that's particularly so that larger companies can't come in and, you know, cannibalize our product and sell it on, on similar to like the Elasticsearch Amazon issue mm -hmm. that happened recently. Yeah. But for, for, for normal day-to-day -day users, there's a core product which is completely free to use. It's 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 pretty feature-rich, so you can still run those multi-region, globally distributed applications. However, there are a few features that are locked behind an enterprise um, sort of gate then. Uh, okay. And that's where we sell our enterprise product. So our enterprise product will include features like um, the ability to do row-level geo-partitioning, which we haven't talked about, but that's the ability to lock data into specific um, oh, I see. Like pinning something. Exactly. So similar to the what we discussed earlier, the UK, US, Australia cluster, you could still have you know a table that spans all three regions, but you could say, I want my UK data only living on my UK nodes. Got it. So US for compliance reasons, if you need to do like a geo-boundary on the data. Exactly. That's a big one in the financial spaces. You okay. know, GDPR is big. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's lock it data down there. The other thing it does is it does help with performance because the quorum operation that has to happen on the right portion doesn't have to span multiple regions then. It only, okay. It's only within the UK. Other things like incremental backup, encryption at rest, they're all in, in, the, um, in the enterprise product. In the enterprise, okay. And then you get full 24-7 SLA type support as well, enterprise level support included with, it, with that enterprise product. Okay. Now you could choose to download that and host that yourself, or you could have us run that as a fully managed database as a service offering for you, which we also do that we call CockroachDB dedicated. Okay. Um, that's where you get your own VPC in either AWS or GCP. We expose an endpoint which you can connect to via private link or VPC peering. Um, and then you simply just develop the application and we'll take care of all of the infrastructure management and, and patching and things like that. The other product that we've recently launched, I'd say about eight months ago, okay. um, is, is something called CockroachDB Serverless. Okay. Um, and that's a serverless database that is a multi-tenant database where you, um, it's there's a free version where you get up to five gigabytes worth of storage for free, and then it's a consumption-based bidding model beyond that. And that's deployed similar to the CockroachDB dedicated then? I just get like a an endpoint on my cloud virtual network, and it just goes into a CockroachDB serverless, whatever that is you guys are running behind the scenes. It is, yeah. And when okay. we talk about serverless, we joke about it has to be servers behind it somewhere. So yeah. <laughs> the cloud yeah. is just somebody else's computer. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the serverless model is basically um, 
a nice way of saying some multi-tenanted model where you pay for the only what you're using rather than a dedicated box each year. So how is that metered? Is it by time, by CPU? By so we query? have something called, yeah, we have something called RSUs, um, okay. which are basically a combination of CPU, disk, and network um, that your queries are using. So it's metered in that way. Okay. And then, you know, if I run a certain amount of queries, then I get charged, um, you know, proportionally. Yeah, exactly. You only get charged for the, the, the resource that your queries are actually using. There. What do you see people doing the most? Like, do you, do you guys, uh, you know, see, a, mm -hmm. a, I, I'm assuming Cockroach Labs keeps tracks of all sorts of stats about usage. Uh, how, how have you seen the adoption of core versus enterprise versus host yourself versus, you know, your own cloud product? Where, where is the, the direction that the product is taking mostly? Yeah, so obviously our open source um, product has been available for five and a half years now. So that's got quite a <laughs> quite a, a length of time ahead of our enterprise products. So there is still a lot of, of people out there mm -hmm. running core products, self-hosting it themselves, uh, and just playing around with Cockroach in that way. But we are seeing a fundamental move to more of a cloud-first strategy. Yeah. So even a lot of the enterprises now are looking at a dedicated offering in particular, uh, and we're seeing a movement between to movement from that self-hosted nature into I want somebody to manage this for us. And then from a developer perspective, they seem to love the serverless technology because yeah. it's a you know it's a really quick. I can spin it up. I can just throw my 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 queries, throw my application at it, see if it works. Great. If it does, if it doesn't, then nothing's lost. So. Yeah, we see if you think about the development life cycle, right? It makes a lot of sense. Like you're trying to build a prototype, you're trying to build an MVP. Just is this possible? I can start with the serverless and then it's easy to move from serverless to dedicated, or is it complicated to move from one to the other? No, it's not complicated. Um, I mean, you know, you you it depends on how big you make that serverless cluster ultimately all that serverless um, database if it's five gigabytes you know a backup and a restore is a very quick operation to do <laughs> in, okay. in, in to dedicate it or you can just simply move your application straight by switching your connection string if you don't need the existing data that's in yeah, your, yeah. your serverless cluster but for keeping development costs down then serverless obviously is very attractive yeah it is and uh, i mean you, you you brought a good point earlier on about you know continuous ci cd pipelining and things like that and where most distributed sql databases really struggle is there's usually a bunch of configuration files that you have to manage um, and that's really awkward when it comes to automating ci cd pipelines cockroach db is a single binary so it's super easy just to to to, to put in those ci cd pipelinings whether you're using cloud technologies or self-hosting it okay what so, about containerization? I'm assuming that if you're doing on-prem, that's you, what you guys recommend for most people? So the recommendation, uh, I mean, we don't recommend anything. If you want to run this on VMs, run it on VMs. If you want to run it in Docker and, and Kubernetes, run it in Docker and Kubernetes. The advice that I like to give is, is sort of the KISS principle, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Mm -hmm. So if, if your applications are running in Kubernetes, for example, then it makes sense to put your database in Kubernetes as well so it's close to your applications. If your applications are not in Kubernetes, why overcomplicate things and deploy Cockroach inside of Kubernetes? Because then you have a bunch of networking constructs that you and it just overcomplicates things. But what I will say is all of our hosted and managed solution is built on top of Kubernetes. Yeah. 
and I'd say 65, 70% of our self-hosted customers are running the database in Kubernetes. Yeah, so, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, and that obviously takes care of things like, I assume, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume it takes care of things like, instead of patching, you just have to you know, refresh your container version and yeah. it, it will be compatible with wherever the data files might be, right? And it's kind of like, that's, that's like the, the different way of patching if you're living in the containerization world, right? Instead of actually, you know, deploying something that does something to the binary that you actually have installed somewhere. I mean, that's a good reason why not to do VMs, right? It, sort of. So um, with Cockroach, because it's a single binary, um, the way that we upgrade and patch is similar uh, in Kubernetes than two VMs. So uh, you just replace on. one thing, that's it? Exactly. You remove the old binary, you, you put the new binary there, you restart that node, and Cockroach will pick up the new binary. And then ultimately, you need to run a SQL statement or a CLI command at the end to say that all of my nodes are now upgraded. You, I'm going to be on the next version. Where Kubernetes comes into it, it simplifies that process. Yeah. Because literally all you're doing is changing an image tag within a stateful set file. And then we have pod disruption policies in place to make sure that you can't restart more than one node at a time. Makes so it's sense. just a rolling restart then to update all of the nodes very, very easily using something like a, an orchestration tool like Kubernetes. Is this something that you guys provide this guidance? If I want to run it on my Kubernetes, mm -hmm. then all this stuff is like ready to be consumed? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, we've tried to make it as easy as, and, and wide as possible. So, you know, if, if you want to run it on Kubernetes in your own environment, we provide extensive documentation on how to do that, whether you're running Rancher, OpenShift, vanilla Kubernetes, we have all of the type of documentation. And the ways that we allow you to do that is we have example Helm charts, for example. We have example stateful set files. Mm -hmm. We have in we we have recently also launched a Kubernetes operator as well. So okay. lots of lots of variety in terms of how you want to manage your your self-hosted Kubernetes. The the only requirement from CockroachDB, and it's not a hard requirement, is you obviously because Cockroach is a stateful application and and, and containerizations were built for, for mm. stateless applications. You need some form of stateful set to manage, and you need a persistent volume claim. Yeah, of course. Uh, no, otherwise we, you you don't want your CockroachDB to just go up in smoke. Um, so. What about the supportability of the product? This is another item that um, makes people hesitant a lot when you have something like, you know, I'm going to move from a SQL server or an Oracle into something like CockroachDB, right? You're moving from the support and the backing of a massive corporation versus the support and the backing of Cockroach Labs. How often do you guys release new versions? How do they get tested? How do they get published? Like, you know, what gives me that nice comfort feeling to go to sleep at night that this is a platform that's good to invest in? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, we do two major releases a year. Okay. Um, typically, one in the May timeframe, one in the November timeframe. Um, and then we do patched releases as and when needed between those. Okay. Obviously, patched releases won't have any breaking changes or any fundamental new features, um, but the major versions will and, and, and do. So yeah, that's the, the release cycle that, that, that we go through. Um, in terms of supportability, you'll also find that, you know, if you sign up to our enterprise edition, you'll get the enterprise level SLAs, you know, the one hour response time SLAs that, you know, uh, a lot of people are offering in terms of an enterprise support package. Okay. 
But if you're running on core or you're running on, you know, like the likes of serverless and things like that, then you still get sort of, you know, uh, two or three business day uh, ability to raise tickets to Cockroach Labs and uh, and have the ability for them to respond within two or three business days. Okay. But what we find most people doing that are running core is we have an extensive community. So we have a mm-hmm. community Slack channel, for example. We're very active on the forums like Stack Overflow and GitHub and, and things like that. So typically questions get answered a lot quicker by using the community forums. Just ad hoc community support. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're doing core, obviously, I assume that serious clients that like you mentioned you know in the fintech space they just go with actual paid support from cockroach labs right they do they do yes and um, and then the people who are using core typically get all of their answers through our community slack channels or forums and the reason they do that is because those forums are actually monitored by our engineers that are building the product itself so they can get very deep very quick answers quite efficiently through those mechanisms Okay, cool. And what's the what's the next step for for Cockroach Labs here? Is it uh, you know uh, it's the strategy to try to capture uh, greenfield ops? Do you guys see you know migrations from legacy systems is where a lot of the you know the low hanging fruit might be. Like how how does how do you guys see the the growth strategy for Cockroach DB? Like how how do we make this you know a top five database? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, um, I think we're growing year on year. If you look at our last year, you know, our last three years growth trajectory, we've pretty much doubled um, in, in, in user volume uh, and in revenue that we're, we're getting year over year. So it's, it's, it's very promising in that way. In terms of the types of applications that we're getting, it truly is a mixture. So we have everything from migrations from mainframe and DB2, for example, to net new applications that are running event sourcing type of applications and uh, things like that. So I think um, really our value proposition at its most is if you need consistency in terms of your data, if you need scalability and resilience, then Cockroach is definitely something that you should be looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you throw into that locality, so if you're running global databases, then, then, then there really isn't another database out there like Cockroach with such a re- uh, feature-rich data set. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And how do you see it from a competitor perspective, right? Like we talked about Mongo, Cassandra, mm-hmm. like if some people might say, well, those, those are also distributed. They are more established. Do you think Cockroach has a strong value prop enough for, to this place, these, uh, these incumbents? I do. I mean, if you look at the DB engine rankings, um, sort of forum and, and on where we are. Cockroach is the only database really of those technologies you mentioned, Warner, that is consistently climbing those rankings. Mm-hmm. So we, I honestly believe that we have value propositions now. Do I think we're as mature in the document space as MongoDB, for example? No, we're not. But you know, would you go with a document database if you wanted to run an OLTP mission critical? Yeah, yeah exactly. probably not. So you know, there's there's a database for every single use case. It's just you know you you need to identify your requirements and then pick a database solution that fits those requirements. Is what I would say. Okay, cool. All right. And is there anything in preview? Do you guys run any sort of uh, conference, any sort of virtual group? Like if somebody somebody wants to, you know, join or, or get up to date and, and learn about what's coming down the pipeline for Cockroach. 
Like, what's the best way to engage with uh, with the community or get involved with the product? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've mentioned the Slack channel, so that's ultimately the first thing you want to do. Um, if you're completely new to Cockroach and you want to learn about it, we have an online university that's free to use. If you go through, complete some courses of that, you'll also get some free swag sent out to you as well, which is always nice. Um, but in terms of the things that we do community-wise, we run regular webinars similar to this podcast, um, and they're in different regions as well. So we have EMEA regions, we have okay. US um, podcasts, and we have APAC podcasts come in as well, and webinars. And we're pretty much at all of the major conferences as well. So the likes of KubeCon and EMEA is coming up in the next two weeks, I think, in Valencia. So we'll have a booth there. So. You know, nice. if you're at any of the major cloud conferences or any major conference, really, swing by and say hello, and we're happy to, to you know, have a chat. Sounds good. All right. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Daniel, for uh, recording with me today. And until next time, everybody, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, all. Navigating the Datascape.